0: We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
1: The legality of new vaccine and testing mandates in the workplace.
2: In total. The vaccine requirements in my plan will affect about 100 million Americans.
1: I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. The collective trauma of 9-11 and how it informs our current moment in history.
3: This is an era of political warfare that leaves America more starkly divided than any era we've seen before. It almost makes it impossible to imagine that we could come together in the way that we did as a nation after 9-11.
1: And we'll tell you about events happening in your weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. President Joe Biden announced a new COVID-19 vaccine and testing mandate yesterday for all private businesses with 100 or more employees. The new mandate has sparked controversy across the nation and locally. Some are even threatening to sue the Biden administration over it. Joining me is Dan Eaton, legal analyst and partner at the San Diego firm of Seltzer, Kaplan, McMahon and Vitek. Dan, welcome.
2: Good to be with you again, Jade.
1: So how do you see Biden's announcement yesterday signaling a shift in the legal fight over pandemic mandates?
2: Well, that's what it is, though, Jade. I think you used exactly the right word, which is shift, because what it does is it expresses a degree of frustration. And he's clearly testing his authority with respect to mandating vaccination to the very limits of what he perceives to be his uh, executive authority as president of the United States. It's not clear if he has gone too far, but we'll see soon enough. Why do you
1: think President Joe Biden announced this mandate now and not sooner in the pandemic?
2: Well, because I think he was cognizant of the fact that we are a very polarized country at this point. He's aware of the large number of resistors to vaccination. And I I think that he wanted to proceed cautiously. That's his reputation. But at some point, he is saying, we are in a public health crisis. We have the means to defeat that crisis. Enough is enough. And he said, uh, our patience is wearing thin. I think he used... uh, almost those exact words in his press conference yesterday at which, interestingly, he declined to take any questions. Among the opposition to
1: this are some employers. Why are they against this new mandate?
2: Well, because uh, a mandate is, uh, first of all, it's not strictly speaking, when you're talking about the private employers of 100 or more, it's not strictly speaking a mandate, unlike with the federal workforce and federal contractor employees. Uh, With respect to uh, the private employers, Uh, of 100 or more, it is mandate or uh, test or or, or require a weekly testing. But in any event, employers are resisting this because they realize that just as I said about a polarized country, they're dealing with polarized workforces. And we're in a very tight labor market. And guess what? Some people are going to quit over this. And uh, that is a problem in a tight labor market where it's very hard to get people. And it may affect uh, morale. That's why I think employers are so concerned. So is the new mandate legal in the
1: workplace and do workers have rights to not get the vaccine?
2: Well, the answer to the second question is yes, workers have the right not to get the vaccine, but that doesn't carry with it the right to work at an employer that either because the federal government requires it or otherwise is mandating vaccination or weekly testing. The a broader question that you've asked is whether the uh, vaccine mandate is legal is one that ultimately is going to have to be tested in court. A lot will depend on whether the president's broad power with respect to managing a public health crisis encompasses this really breathtaking order uh, that remains to be written. The devil at the end of the day, Jade, may be in the detail. And you can expect that courts are going to scrutinize the details of the order as it is written and refined very, very carefully.
1: That said, are people suing for their right to not get infected? And does this mandate give them any leverage to do so?
2: So, the fact is that employers have a broad responsibility to maintain a safe and healthful workplace. And what's driving this mandate is indeed uh, to try to maintain a safe and healthful workplace. Whether vaccinated employees have the right to sue, in effect, to require vaccination, is pretty dubious. I I doubt that very much. Where you're going to see lawsuits are from people and states, by the way, who are uh, resisting this broad federal mandate. So how will these mandates be enforced? Well, the uh, enforcement mechanism will come from, among other things, the uh, Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration, among other things. And ultimately, they may be enforced uh, in the uh, courts by suing for non compliance by these uh, safety a- administrators and so forth. So that's where you're going to see the enforcement mechanism. But the bottom line is that, as with all laws, so much depends on voluntary compliance. There simply aren't enough regulators to enforce it with respect to every pocket of resistance. A lot of what the president has done is, in effect, to uh, advise employers to join with him in trying to get a much broader uh, level of vaccination than we have right now, because frankly, we seem to be stuck at around 60 or 70 percent. And that's just not good enough to defeat a pandemic that has been moving faster than the speed of law.
1: Can a business get fined for not enforcing the mandates?
2: Sure they could. Once those rules go into effect, uh, you can be fined for not complying with Uh, occupational safety and health administration regulations. And those fines can be very serious. So there is definitely a stick. We're done, said President Biden with carrots and pleading. Uh, Now is the time he is saying uh, to uh, mandate. And mandates mean that there are consequences, whether you're talking about a business being fined or a worker being subject to discipline up to and including termination for declining to get vaccinated or subject to weekly testing when we're talking about the uh, private workforce of 100 or more employees.
1: The Republican National Committee announced yesterday that they plan to sue the Biden administration over the new COVID-19 vaccine and testing mandate. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well, that's not a surprise at all because it's basically, uh, I suspect that the argument is going to be that he has exceeded his authority, that mandatory vaccination, particularly when you're talking about a private employers of 100 or more employees, separate and apart from uh, fed, uh, federal government as an employer or employees of federal contractors, that tends to be a state issue. It's part of their broad, what are called police powers, meaning their regulatory authority. And it's not clear that the federal government, even with the statutes as broadly as they are written, encompass this this sweeping order that the president seems to have in mind. They're going to have to look very closely at the details of the order before they sue, because right now all we have is a press conference and an outline and and some details. But ultimately, courts are going to look at this very closely. And courts, even though, of course, they're in this uh, with the rest of us, are ultimately going to realize what the Supreme Court has said, which is that even in the midst of a pandemic, the Constitution and federal law are not suspended.
1: I've been speaking with Dan Eaton, legal analyst and partner at the San Diego firm of Seltzer, Kaplan, McMahon and Vitech. Dan, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Good to be with you, Jade.
1: 9/11 launched two wars, spawned intense fear of foreign terrorism, and unified Americans against a common foe. KPBS's Amitha Sharma explores the collective trauma of that day and how it might inform this moment in our history. First came clues that horror was on its march
4: that September 11th morning, 20 years ago. The
1: cockpit is not answering the phone.
4: Our number one is in staff, and our five is in staff. Then, disbelief and shock as the first World Trade Center tower was hit by a plane hijacked by al-Qaeda terrorists. When the scope of the attack came into view, there was sadness, anger, and a warning by then-President George W. Bush that America was ready for retribution.
2: The search is underway for those who are behind these evil acts. I've directed the full resources of our intelligence and law enforcement communities to find those responsible and to bring them to justice.
3: I think the thing that left America so shaken and left me so shaken about 9-11 was not just this horrendous loss of life that we all watch live on TV, but where it happened, right? It happened on American soil.
4: UC San Diego political science professor Thad Kauser says the collective trauma bonded the country. It brought people across political divides together. In many ways, he says our collective response to that day showed our
3: resilience. Americans felt more united and more like citizens of a country that had, you know, sure brought together by this shared trauma. But that sense of
4: collective action, of all in it togetherness has been elusive during this pandemic. Even though COVID has killed more than 650,000 Americans. And even though the pandemic has been a much more collective experience with school and work closures and people getting sick and dying.
3: If you look just purely at the numbers, right, we had more people die during many single days of the winter surge than died in all of the September 11th attacks combined. Kauser says the contrast
4: in reaction exposes a difference between who we were then and who we are now. He says we're in an era of hyper-political polarization.
3: This is an era of political warfare that leaves America more starkly divided than any era we've seen before. It almost makes it impossible to imagine that we could come together in the way that we did as a nation after 9-11.
4: UC Irvine psychologist Roxanne Cohen-Silver says another reason 9-11 unified Americans is because the threat was foreign.
1: Those bad people did something to us. Now, you know, we're all perpetrators of the infection.
4: America is fractured today, even though the threat is far bigger. Another reason, says Silver, is because we've lived through trauma, after trauma after trauma over the last 20 years, the mass shootings, climate-driven weather catastrophes, the political scandals of former President Donald Trump's administration, the killing of George Floyd, the January 6th insurrection, and of course, the pandemic. She says at some level, people are exhausted. People do become numb to the numbers. But I don't think we became numb to the tragedy. The cascade of tragedies has changed how we view 9-11 today, says Couser.
3: It may be easy to look back and say, really, that puny event? But on the other hand, 9-11 wasn't just one day, right? It set in place a series of things. The war in Afghanistan, our longest war, the war in Iraq.
4: He says as we commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11, the country might take a lesson from the unity back then, however brief, to navigate its current divide.
3: It's an opportunity to remember why everyone made those sacrifices, what brought people together at that time, and think about whether Some of the things that we're facing today, whether these are traumas on that scale and whether we can get over some of the differences in how we want to lead our daily lives, whether we want to wear a mask, all those things, get through that, back to that renewed sense of joint purpose.
4: Amitha Sharma, KPBS News.
0: We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
1: You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. This weekend, there are plenty of ways to get your arts fixed, including through a world premiere musical, dance in a museum, and a region-wide celebration of all things design. Joining me with all the details is KPBS Arts Editor and Producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. So the second annual San Diego Design Week is underway and there are dozens of programs, installations, tours, panels and exhibitions, uh, whether in person or online to really choose from. And these are all over the spectrum of design disciplines. Uh, So Julia, can you give us a little overview and then help us narrow it down with some programs on your radar?
5: Yeah, and, and this will barely scratch the surface here, but one of the best places to start are Design Week's collections that they have. They're little curated packages of events. There's one that's all walking tours or one that's all cycling tours. Uh, there's a virtual design in Mexico collection there's one that has all of the food and culinary type design events as well. Some of the standouts for me are from the arts section. There are Mingay architecture tours twice daily over the weekend um, with some of the architects involved with that renovation. There's a beer can design show outside of Society Brewing this weekend. There's a City Heights made fashion show at Fair at 44. That's on Saturday. And then you can also catch a walking art tour um, that starts at Quint in La Jolla. And another On My Radar is artist Shitra Gopalakrishnan's Augmented Reality Exhibition. This is on view at two places. It's at You Belong Here, which is in City Heights, and Hill Street Country Club in Oceanside. And these are animations that she's programmed to appear in the window uh, and kind of trigger an audio narrative on your phone. There are stories that she recorded from trans women affiliated with the House of Resilience And I asked Gopalakrishnan about the way augmented reality is being used in design right now and what it can mean for access.
6: Augmented reality transforms your mobile device into something powerful to create a super immersive experience anywhere, even outside quote-unquote art spaces, and to turn anything mundane into something extraordinary and magical. I see it as a tool with immense potential to harness empathy, we think of futuristic technology as being cold and isolating, but what if we use this to empathize more, to step into my shoes, or to literally see through my eyes as I navigate this world?
5: And I also asked Shichai what else was on her radar for Design Week.
6: I'm really looking forward to seeing Jean Cornell Weed's artwork showcased by Art Power Equity at Jay Walter Communications in a beautiful historic home in Sherman Heights. Her work is so evocative, sensitive, dynamic, and spans decades of San Diego's history. It's truly a moving experience to see it in person. I highly encourage anyone who hasn't yet seen this work to check it out.
1: That was artist Shitra Gopalakrishnan, who has work on display outside the Hill Street Country Club and You Belong Here. San Diego Design Week runs through Sunday. And the Old Globe is about to open their first indoor theatrical production since the beginning of the pandemic. Let's talk about the Gardens of Annuncia and how the Globe is handling COVID precautions.
5: Right. This is a brand new musical. It's a Globe commission written by Michael John LaCusa and directed and choreographed by the great Graziella Danielle. She is an 81-year-old Argentine-American dancer. And it's a story inspired by her life, by her childhood in Argentina, and the way she was surrounded by these strong, nurturing women in her family. I've seen a clip of the opening number in rehearsals, and I was completely drawn in. It's funny, with a lot of heart. And before you go, you'll need to know that this is an indoor performance. The Globe has updated their COVID safety policy a few weeks ago. Masks are required in the indoor theater. And you're also required to show proof of vaccination before entering the theater. If you aren't vaccinated, you have to show proof of a negative PCR test. And if you're under 12, you just have to wear a mask.
1: The Gardens of Annuncia opens tonight and runs through October 17th at the Old Globe. And Anna DiAvalar's exhibition of photorealistic drawings is set to close later this month at the San Diego Museum of Art. And on Sunday, we can catch some contemporary dance performances
5: in the museum inspired by these works. Tell us about this. Yeah, this is a new installment of SDMA Plus, which features Disco Riot. They're a really innovative and experimental dance company. And the dancers for this program, they're pulling on the same title of the exhibition for the art for their performance. And that's called Everything You See Could Be a Lie. Anna de Alvarez drawings are these huge colored pencil still lifes that look just like photographs and they have layers of what she refers to as lies. Like the first is that you, you think it's a photo. The second is when you get a little closer and you realize that even the things she has drawn are fake, like plastic insects, toy snakes, or fake food. So I really can't wait to see what the choreography will add to that. And these are short performances. It's, it's free after you pay for a museum admission, and you don't need tickets or reservations in advance. There's a series of three 15-minute performances. So that's Sunday at 1, 1.30, and 2 p.m. SDMA
1: plus Disco Riot will take place Sunday afternoon at the San Diego Museum of Art. For details on these and more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org slash arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon Evans. Julia, thank you.
5: Thank you so much, Jade. Have a good weekend.